chapter 20, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Mm, this is by the I, I, this is like a so humongous that I just mm. the one word has to be said here. This is most people would say, oh, I know all about this. This is what would be called the Ten Commandments. So it, it's very interesting that it does the word is not Ten Commandments or else what is the first command? The first, and it's interesting, this is where the Jews and the church differ on how we count these commands. But if you use the word command, then the first command doesn't sound like a command at all. The Torah says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. Why doesn't God say, I'm the God who uh, created the world? That would be much, because the Jews actually didn't see that. So it's very important that this is intimate. It's between the Jews and God, these Ten Commandments. The church, therefore, is going to strip this out. This verse 2, in as far as Protestants go, as far as Catholics go, this is not the first commandment. Because, and it makes sense because commandment, what's the command? It just says, I'm the Lord your God. But in fact, the word commandment has been changed. The church altered this text. It's not, people are very surprised by that, but there, there is no text here that says Ten Commandments. And this was, it really is ten utterances that are that are found here. Ten, because Aseris had Dibros means the ten utterances, the ten, maybe words, ten utterances. And it was really this problem of keeping uh, verse one and two separate that the church going back to the 16th century not before then would make this change and that's the first bible to do that i could go that means i went back to all the earlier trends. when did they start calling commandments it's really about the year 1570 and the what's called the um the see this would be the bishop's bible uh, and and then followed by the geneva bible and then the authorized king james would follow that but in fact when you go back to earlier like the vulgate there is no Ten Commandments, because in fact that's not what we find here. These are ten utterances, and therefore we count, therefore as utterances, we are called upon to know that Hashem is our Lord, and in fact that He is speaking to us. So therefore the first commandment is, Anoich Hashem Elokecha. The second commandment go is now about every way you can violate this marriage. This is this is interesting in a passage here came up in my debate with Dr. Craig Evans. Mm-hmm. And that is mm-hmm. uh, just know this. Uh, we're married, and I'm not basing this on creation. Creation is not mentioned here because you didn't see creation, but you saw you saw you personally experienced. We're a wit- you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, Isaiah 43, verse 10 and 11. So you witness this, and therefore that's what I'm appealing to. I'm not appealing to hell and heaven that you've never seen before. I'm not appealing, appealing to creation that you didn't personally witness. You witness this, and therefore you shall have no other gods before me, and meaning the worst form of idolatry is in fact would be a the Christian type, which is one that says you believe in God, but you add a God to him. And we see that Elijah gets very angry over this and says, how long will you hold between these opinions? Because in fact, that was the problem back in Elijah's day as well. And going on, do not make any graven images which we're going to encounter. This is still part of a a a a subtext of all forms of foreign worship in the Christian counting of texts. I'm Lord your God is not a 
commandment, at least by almost all of them. But rather, the commandment starts, you shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. For us, it's number two. Okay, but they split, the church splits up, you have no other gods before me as one, and typically, and uh, and don't and make yourself make as yourself, graven yeah. images, that becomes... Uh, number two. Right. So, Jason... Uh, the first line, I am the Lord, your God. I find that hugely important. He doesn't say, I am the Lord God. I am God. He doesn't say, um, I am everybody's God or just your cousin's God. He says, I am the Lord, your God. And he's very specific in his addressing these people. I mean, we we learn very soon in the next breath of, of how important he is in the, in the scheme of, of things. But to Israel, he wanted to be very specific that there was, they, they don't own him, but um, he, he belongs to them and they belong to him. And I think that's uh, that, that kind of special relationship. I think it's beautiful that he, he outlines that in the, in the very first part. Um, so um, verse two says, um, who brought, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage, bondage and that turns into you shall help no other gods before me. If we have to ask them what is a god? So I, I gave this some thought and I think that a god, if you are going to define one, is something external t- to the f- physical aspects that surround you that you lean on in some way to have an effect on your life. So it's an intangible source that you place faith in that can have an effect on your life. And he says that you shall have no other gods before me. Um, and I, I think that if you lean on anything, it, it doesn't say worship anything except for me. It, says, it specifically says gods. If you, um, so in this instance, I have to believe that any faith you, you place in an intangible force that you think has an effect on how you live your life is idolatry. So obviously, the tradition I come I come from is Jesus, and people might say, "Well, Jesus was very tangible." Well, he may have been then, but he isn't now. So if you are, and then you get a, a whole group of people who say, "Well, you know, I don't pray to Jesus; I pray to God. You know, I only worship God. All my adoration only goes to God." But they still rely on Jesus to get that relationship with God. There's still that, mm. yeah, the worship of any created being. Um, so that's going to bring me on to three. Um, of the the graven image, so there there's, there is. Um, I mean, people people say to me, um, "You've painted a picture. <laughs> um, you know, you're not supposed to paint pictures." And uh, I, you know, I really I don't see that in that con in that context. I think in in the context of what's here, that it's the it's the um, creation of something that's meant to describe a divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, that might that might be God. That might for, even be for Jesus the, for the purpose of worship. Is that is that even yes, fairer to add? Yes, yes, yes. yes exactly. Okay. That's exactly correct. And uh, I mean, and they're all worthless. And, and notice, by the way, the name for the foreign gods here in every instance is Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. That's the name. That, no, no other name of God is used to describe these foreign powers. But again, the word Elohim is the powers. Don't rely on them. Don't look them. I mentioned a long time ago that I think I did that the word sun, Shemesh, is only used first by Abraham because he got it. That the Shemesh, the sun, which is really the motherload of all idolatry, they all re- revert back to that. He got it. It's, it. It is only a utensil of God with no independence. And we're to really that none of these things deliver. It's really God who is delivering. And that's mm. why we're about to encounter a very controversial passage right now. 
Yes, uh, because it says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, yes. visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands yeah, so, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The question I've been asked all my life as well, this sounds like some sort of original sin. That means the text says, and this is very unique to this, to idolatry. The text says that when it comes to idolatry, that means it stops and gives us a special punishment. And then it goes on, and you'll see the next one is really blown out. But each one has a unique thing. That is, worshipping stones and worshipping idols and other forces are really could be of no avail. They can do nothing. God's the only source. The text says here, very strange language. I will placate uh, avoid a voice. I will count the iniquity. And avoid means the uh, sins that are intentional. Al bonim on children. Al shalashim v'al which means either to the third or fourth generation, the sonai, who those who continue to hate me. So what's very important here is no one's suffering for somebody else's sin because in order for the third or fourth generation to be punished even more than the first guy who started the idolatry, grandpa, great-grandpa, they'd have to continue to hate me. They would have to continue in the way of daddy, grandpa, great-grandpa. If they don't, they're not held accountable. So that last modifier, lisonai, Somehow, all these people miss and ask me, oh, this vicarious people are punished for what they didn't do. Question is, what did Torah say to the third or fourth generation? Like, if it can go to the fourth generation, why not say fourth? That obviously would include the third generation. We, we don't need to be told second generation. There's something about third and fourth or fourth, which would be understood as fourth generation. Why third or fourth generation? The, this explains everything. As it turns out, the way Hashem, under normal circumstances, a person obviously grows up with a mommy and a daddy, a father and a mother, and they see their way, their behavior. And most, almost everyone, under ordinary circumstances, grew up having some grandparents. But but some people never see their great-grandparents. Few do, but some people mm. do get to know their great-grandparents. I didn't. So therefore, now we can understand what's, what is coming into view here. You saw that your father, why are they punished more than other people? You saw your father worshipping wood and stone. And he, and nothing came to naught. And you still repeated that. So then I hold you more accountable because you should know that these things are meaningless and they cannot save you. They're worshipping emptiness and vanity within there is no salvation. Now, Almost every person in the normal circumstances has grandparents that they that they encounter in their lifetime. You saw grandpa, that's the third generation. Grandma, they were worshipping stones. It came to nothing. And you still do it. You're going to get punished more. Now, for those of you in this world, look how detailed the Torah goes to. Now, it is, by the way, there are some people who are the fourth generation, meaning there are some people who do get to grow up seeing their great-grandparents. Ah, mm. so for you guys who saw your great-grandparents sin and you continue to sin, I'm going to punch you even more. No one, however, gets to see the fifth generation. I don't have to ask any of us here. None of us 
ever met as a cognizant, no one met our great-great-grandparents, and therefore it cuts off by that point. So, yeah, I, I'm, I would be one of those. Jason, can you, can you break that? Have you ever met anyone? Have, have, did you know your fifth generation? No, not at all, no. Okay. I think, you, uh, you know, you're only going to find that in some small, um, you know, rainforesty thing where they have these perfect idyllic lives and they never eat anything perfect. <laughs> it's a rainforesty thing. <laughs> what do you call it with these hats? It's like Webster hits the guts. I just want you to know that if Webster's plotting food, you can able to that's where the shepherdy, the shepherdy comedy people. Are. I don't know. There's a lot of money. Got to get. There's a lot of generations got to get busy when they're in their mid-teens. Anyway, yeah. so it it goes on. Do you have anything to add to that, Jason? Only that. Um, I'd like. Uh, so there's a really great thing. The Hebrew root for jealous is Kana, and it, in it, 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 when he says, um, "I'm a jealous God," it it almost means injured. You know, he takes it personally. That he's not doing it out of anger. He's, he's, he's doing it because he's kind of upset that you don't see it, you know. And and uh, I I I imagine that's kind of like when a when a child answers back to its parent and says something spiteful just to hurt its parent, mm-hmm. and then the, and then the parents like, how could you say that? And I get that impression from the text that that's yeah. God's um, reply. Yeah, yeah, and what's really yeah. awesome, I just want to get this in the end over here, is that he also says, and showing mercy upon thousands of generations of them that love me and my commandments. So on the one hand, four or five, th- um, three or four generations, on that's right. the, 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 the dark side. And on the light yeah. side, thousands of generations. That's the God we serve. Now I think that's awesome. Right. And it may very well be. I mean, I want to, you know, that sounds like... Um, Thousands of generations, which obviously sounds like hyperbole. Sounds like hyperbole. But I, I thousands, you know, like, what, what do you mean, thousands of generations? Bring that kind of It's very possible that many of the people listening to this show right now, Hashem plucked you out of nowhere. Hashem, you were in the middle of a foreign place, surrounded by non Jews. You never encountered Jews in your life. But for some reason, Hashem brought this great light into your life, and now you've come to know the God of Israel. Why did He do that? Why did He pick you out? You, of course, had to choose Him, but of course, He brought light into your life so that that choice was so accessible to you. Made things are, you see, the blessings are raining down from past generations into the generation that we have now before us. The and Jason is quite beautifully said that, and that is that in fact, Kano jealousy means that you're you're person is appropriating their affection where it doesn't belong. It means you know now that I'm God and it, your affection belongs to no one else but me. And in fact, the only time in the Torah we ever find this kind of word used is here with relation to idolatry and only one other place and that's in Numbers 5. In Numbers 5, that's the case where we have a man who's married to his wife. So you see this, I'm not infusing this language because it, what's happening is very much, this is wedding. This is what the nation really becomes God's husband wife the other place we have is in Numbers chapter 5 verse 14 15 that's a man who's married to a woman but she's doing things that clearly display that she's an adulterous woman which means she's appropriated her affection to a man to whom she is not married and that's what we have um, and that's what, we, that's what this word uh, delineates it doesn't belong to you I'm the one I'm the one who took you out and therefore your affection cannot be with another beautifully said Jason 